0: Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful gift of being able to come together as your church, to be your people who encourage each other, listen to you, and help each other in their journey of faith. Pour down your Holy Spirit on us and give us a sense of your presence. Help us to see what it means to be people who are restarted by you, who have our relationships restarted by you. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had to restart anything in your life. Occasionally, this happens to me, where I've this sort of thing in the screen. A couple of weeks ago, I attended a webinar and the, the comment on the webinar was, if the screen freezes, turn off everything and restart your computer and it'll fix 95% of the problems. Maybe you've restarted your life in some way or another. You've made a major change and you know that things need to happen. You need something in place. Some weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, tried to restart up one of our computers and it didn't work at all. And we actually ended up taking it to the computer shop and he said, well, we can't fix it except for putting in a new drive. So we can not they could fix it, but they couldn't restart it as is. Well, our focus today is about thinking about what does it mean for God to restart our lives. And it's important for us as Christians to keep in mind that Easter gives um, life to restarting. The foundation, the key message of Easter, that Christ died on the cross and then he rose again, is what makes it possible for us to restart our lives. For Acts chapter three, verse nineteen we hear Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Often when we hear the word repent, off many people will take that in a, a very negative sense. But here it's reminded that repentance leads to something refreshing, that repentance leads to something good that our sins are washed away, but we also, our lives are refreshed. As one person once said to me, um, when I come to worship and I confess my sins, and I take that seriously, not just the confession, but what happens next, which is originally called the absolution, or we call it God's forgiveness, I have this burden lifted that I can live in life not having to stress about, are my sins going to affect my relationship with God in the future? And so when we think about today's reading, um, particularly this area, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, it's actually talking about us restarting our relationship with God. Now it's interesting that some people will think they only need to repent once or twice or maybe three times in their life. But if you think about your life, that we have this day where every day we end up sinning. Every day we kind of need that restart, that re-jigging, um, starting again with God. And we're going to talk more about what that means and why that's possible. But, but, but before we do, I'd encourage you to think about these two things, some things to ponder. Think about during the sermon, but also think about in life. What do my thoughts, words and actions say about Who am I trusting for life? What do my thoughts, my words and actions say about who am I trusting for life? Because a lot of today's reading is, and we'll come to it, is Peter's talking to some Jewish people and really hitting on this point is, who are you trusting for life? The second thing that I encourage you to ponder on and think about is, if I'm a Christian, how am I reflecting that Jesus is the true source of life for me? How am I reflecting to my family, my friends, the people around me, to other Christians, to those who are not Christians, that Jesus is the true source of life for me? To understand, and thanks to Elaine, she's given us a bit more of the context, but to understand this context even more from our reading from Acts 3, there's a couple of things just to, to highlight. First of all, Peter is speaking to religious Jewish people. And we know this because they've gone to the temple. And one of the things about religious Jewish people is that they were focused on the law. Now these are people, most of the people in that crowd had not accepted that Jesus was the Messiah. And we get that from today's context and a a couple of other readings. But he is there and he continues. And what had happened was Peter and John had continued and other disciples, they continued to worship God, continued to worship God in the Jewish temple. They hadn't left. And in fact, in the early stages, Christianity was simply seen as a sect of the Jewish faith amongst some others. But they continue to worship God because they're probably a bit like Luther, hoping to reform their understanding of God. And so who Peter is speaking to in this sermon, he's speaking to mainly a group of people who are Jewish, who live from the understanding that relationship with God is based on how much they obey the law. But they'd also been part of, and which we'll see in a few moments, part of a group of people Um, who had led Christ to suffer and die. And as Elaine pointed out, the crowd had seen Peter and John heal a man in Jesus' name, but they had a thought or straightaway jumped to the conclusion that they had healed them by their own power. And that's what Peter wants to address. And so the first thing that this passage kind of encourages us to think about that Easter gives life to restarting, is to think about this. Easter gives life to restarting by redirecting our focus away from ourselves to Jesus. Many people ask questions like, am I good enough for God? Have I done enough for God? Then there are others who will say things like, look how good I am. Now, most of us are not, most people in this room are not that boastful, but they will highlight their achievements how well they've done. But what Peter does today is encourage people to see something different, to see the world different when good things happen. From Acts chapter 3, verse 12 and verse 16, talks about their response to this encounter where this man's healed. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by your own power or godliness we made this man walk? In other words, what they're trying to do is say, yes, this happened. Yes, we were involved, but it wasn't us. It was God doing something. And that's what their ultimate aim is, is to point the crowd away from the South. Now, remember, this group of people haven't accepted Jesus as the Messiah, but also the news going around the community is Jesus has risen from the dead. And then a few verses later, they say, in relation to this event, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, one of the things that often comes up within discussions where we have healing events in the Christian scene is, I pray for people to be healed and they don't get healed. Well, not everybody you pray for is, to be healed, will be healed. And that's not because of faith, it's because of what God desires. But what I would encourage you to think about is this. When people are attracted to the good you do, to your successes, see this as an opportunity to connect them to Jesus. And this is what Peter's doing here. There'll be some, some people that are, who are within the Christian community who will pray for people and see healing as a result of that prayer. But many of us, we won't. But all of us have an opportunity to do good. All of us have an opportunity to succeed. All of us have an opportunity to help people. And so when people are attracted to the good we do, remember that this is an opportunity to deflect that attention that's given to you, to deflect that towards Jesus, to deflect that towards God. Remember, the source of our success is not ourselves, it's God. Even though we may have a skill and we've nurtured that skill and we've worked hard to develop that skill, remember the ability to do so Is a gift from God. Even the health to be able to do so is a gift from God. And so this is what Peter is doing on this occasion. Um, He's following what God wants him to do. And if you have a look closely at it, it was, you know, the man's asking for money and he goes, I don't have money, but I can give you something greater. And I remember hearing a story about, um, based on this sermon where um, somebody had gone to a church and that church had a homeless thing and they'd been giving this person food and it was a way for them to connect to homeless people. But somebody, after a year of this person going to the homeless sort of shelter, had invited the person to church. And the person who come to church had heard a very important message um, and had said, I needed that more than the food. I needed to know that God loved me more than just the food. The food helped me understand that God loved me but I needed to hear that message. And that's what Peter did in this occasion. Right? There was this person begging for um, money, this lame person, but he gave them something more. But Peter didn't take all the acknowledgements, all the um, praise, and say, oh, look how good I am, look how good we are, follow us. and we'll... He automatically redirected. And that's what he was doing here, is redirecting the praise and the adulation that he is receiving to say this is from God. So think about your life. Think about um, the good that you do. Think about the praise you receive and think about how can you deflect that? How can you help others see that that is God at work in you and through you? How can you encourage to help others see that their experience with you is actually an experience of God sharing his love His grace to them through you. The second part of the the principle that comes out of today's reading is that Easter gives life to restarting by revealing that we have a problem and that problem we know is sin. But it doesn't stop there. Peter also reveals that sin does not have to be the dominant story in our lives. As a pastor in the Lutheran Church, occasionally I'll have people have a talk to me about, how come in worship we have such a focus on sin? And particularly if a traditional service, they said, why do we have a focus on us being poor, miserable sinners? And one person said to me, I'm not miserable. There's a couple of things about that translation. That translation is actually a mistranslation of of the original German, it's supposed to come across as we are poor, helpless people needing God's help for the forgiveness of sins. It's not supposed to be miserable. It's somewhere along the line, someone translated it to miserable, which has given Australian people the wrong impression of what it is. And as I heard a um, somebody who's not a Christian who had heard that said, oh, "I am not miserable when I sin," right? but did acknowledge that he's helpless. What Peter does here, though, is say, he shares this message that there is sin, there is a problem, but there is also something else. There is a solution to the sin that's in your life. And he's, remember, he's talking to a group of Jewish religious people soon after Easter, soon after Good Friday and soon after the resurrection. And he says this, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And this is quite significant. When he says the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to these people, he's not saying Jesus is a new religion. He is saying Jesus is a continuation of the religion you know. He is the fulfilment of the religion you know. One of the challenges we have in Australian society is we have religions competing against each other and sometimes people will say, this religion's better than that or this religion's better than Christianity. Well, what Peter and John are saying to the group is saying, look, it's not about relieving your old religion, it's about living in a more fulfilled religion. So he goes on to say, the God of our forefathers has glorified his servant Jesus. And then he highlights the sin that has been committed. He says, you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate. Though he had decided to let him go, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. So not only is he saying to them, you killed Jesus, but you also let a guilty person go, which meant there wasn't true justice. Then he says, you killed the author of life, but this is where the solution comes in. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And so Peter and John are going around with, like the other disciples, talking about and being witnesses amongst the Christian community, that there is hope. There is hope even though we sin. There is hope and that hope is on the risen Jesus. And so it's important for us to think about this. There is a reason that Easter had to happen and that reason is our relationship with God has been affected and is affected by sin. And it needs a restart. Our relationship with God is affected because we fail at times to love God wholly or we fail to love other people as God calls us to love them. And it's important to recognise that sin can either be a deliberate action, and we'll see in a few moments, that it can also be an innocent action. And sometimes people, when they've innocently done something wrong, will excuse it. And in fact, I don't have to say sorry, I didn't mean to do it. But what Peter's highlighting here, in this particular reason area, is that Anything that's sin, which is failing to love God or failing to love others, is sin. And so it arises either from action or inaction. And if you think about it, behind all broken relationships is sin. Think about how sin has affected your relationship with other people, but also how it's affected your relationship with God. Occasionally, as a pastor, I meet with people who are some distant from the church. They've stopped coming to church. And one person that comes to mind, I met with them and over a couple of times meeting, it came out that they had committed a sin and they were worried about, A, how other people would treat them as a a reasonably public sort of sin, how other people would treat them at church, and I felt that a very sad sort of scenario. But they were also worried whether God would still love them. They couldn't grasp because they... And they use this term. If I was God, I wouldn't want to love me. I wouldn't want to accept me. But that's not the message that God gives us when he gives us Jesus. That's not the message that God says to us that you have to stress about whether you're good enough. In fact, the reason we have Jesus is a solution to our sins. Now, you can see how sin had affected their relationship with God and their relationship with other people. But what's important for us as Christians is that we don't stop at just recognising sin. It's important to recognise sin because... One of the reasons we have confession and absolution in our services is so that we recognize not that how bad we are, but how much God has done for us. What God has done for us. Because the whole message of Christianity is centered around this event at Easter. That Christ suffered on the cross and died for us, but also rose for us. And those two things had to happen. There had to be the suffering and there had to be the resurrection. If we're going to get forgiveness of sin, so let's not just stop at recognizing sin, but also recognize God has a solution. The problem we have is most of us at times live like the rest of the world. If somebody sins against the rest of the world, you know what the solution is for the world? Let's isolate them, let's push them aside, let's ostracize them, let's make sure they get punished. That's the focus. Let's get rid of them. If someone treats us badly, often we want to put walls up or we want to make sure that they pay for treating us badly. But that's not how God treats us. Now imagine if you were the Jewish people at the time listening to this and Peter had said, you, you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate. And though he had decided to let him go, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Very heavy words, right? And they probably, you know, some of them would be thinking is, if this is true, my relationship with God, God won't want anything to do with me. But what Peter highlights and what's important for us to live in our world with is that there is a solution to our sin. What he does is he directs us and he directed them to Jesus, the one they had killed, because it's Jesus' death and resurrection that restarts our relationship with God but also refreshes our lives. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And so, what Peter does is open the door to this group of people who, if they had recognized they'd done wrong, are probably worried about is there any hope for me? And what he says, there is hope. And that hope comes by focusing and trusting on Jesus. And this is where we gain a more fuller understanding of repentance. You see, repentance is about who are you trusting for life? Repentance, the the actual word in the Greek for repentance, is about turning from one thing to another. And so in reality, repentance is about who are you trusting for life? Who are you trusting to prove that you are good enough to God? Who are you trusting that you to prove you are good enough to others? And so what Peter's doing here in this sermon is encouraging people to focus on and trust Jesus. Even though they killed him, focus on and trust knowing that through that, God's love would come to them. And it's the same message for us. God is encouraging us to think about who are we trusting for life? And to turn from those things or those people or those ideas that are not of God that come through Jesus to trusting in Jesus. And so the repentance from Jesus is about relying on his actions on the cross and the empty tomb. It's to be living as Christians to say, yes, I'm a Christian because of what God has done for me. You see how the language like that takes the focus away from how good we are now, occasionally, people will say to me, and I'll, it's what, usually when I've done something wrong, I thought you were a good Christian. Now, for years, I used to worry about and stress about when I do things wrong, how bad that's going to reflect on me, the church, and everybody else. And I would say there's a lot of people in the church that are hung up and worried about, they act like Pharisees in some ways, worried about what other people think. Have I done something wrong? Well, the truth is we always do stuff wrong. One of my responses that I've learned is going, well, yes, I am a Christian. And that's the reason is I need God's forgiveness and love. I need God to, forg- I need that forgiveness that comes through Jesus. And that's the whole message of the Christian church. Because most of the people who say that are not usually in the church have a very distorted view of what Christianity is about. And part of that, Now, you don't intentionally go out to do something wrong to be able to say this, but when it happens, is point people to Jesus. Say that you were relying on God's forgiveness. What Jesus did on the cross and the empty tomb paid the price for your sins. And so that repentance from Jesus, if we're relying on that, it also leads us to live with a different perspective of life. A life where, Forgiveness is important. A life where love is important. A life where welcoming all is important. A life where serving others is important. Because that's Jesus' way of life. That's what a life of repentance looks like. And so as we leave today, I encourage you to think about how is God restarting your life? Now some people have to get into habits to make sure it sinks in. I'd say Luther was one of those. He had a daily habit of prayer, of confessing God to God and then reading part of the Gospels to hear that he was forgiven. And we don't have to do that. But what we should do and what's encouraged for us to do is to continually Listen to God. Continually be reading the scriptures and continually opening ourselves up to what God is doing for us. One of the reasons at the end of the service we have this question is, what has God been saying to you today? Is to encourage us to think about what is the message, what are the key messages for God being saying? How does God see us? But also how is God calling us to respond to his grace and love? And so as you leave, I would encourage you to think about this text. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Think about the freedom, the the beauty that God gives you because he does love you and he's guaranteed to forgive your sins because you trust in Jesus. Think about the release that gives. As one lady said to me, she said, when I understood this, I never had to worry about, am I good enough for God? Instead, I had more time to worry about, how can I help others know that God loves them too? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift of forgiveness and the new life that gives. Continue to restart our lives with your message, with your gospel, encouraging us to know that we are loved and blessed by you. Not because we've got everything together, not because we've done everything perfectly, but because you love us through Jesus. And you have shown that love to us through Jesus' death on the cross and the empty tomb. Pour down your Holy Spirit on our lives. Continue to restart our lives every day with your grace, your gospel and your love. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.